KPOO San Francisco. It's 11 o'clock. When we are ignorant, whether passively or intentionally, we have no chance to see the truth for what it is. If it is a passive kind of ignorance, we move about in a foggy bliss of unawareness. If we make ourselves ignorant, if we actively delude ourselves, then we are making a terrible mistake. Making a terrible mistake. We rob ourselves of the clarity of truths. We miss the beauty as well as the full depth and worth of the universe. Good morning, everyone. This is New Bay Brown coming at you from Prison Focus Radio, KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And it is another beautiful Thursday morning. Thank you for joining me. It is so good to be here with you this morning. And I, again, want to send a big shout-out of love and solidarity to our family, friends, and community members that are behind the walls. And I just want to remind you that uh, this platform is for you and your families. So um, I hope you're tuning in. I hope you can hear. And I would love for you to reach out to me if there is something else that you would like to, I would love your feedback. I would love, if there's something else you'd like to hear, if you like what you hear, um, you want to make some suggestions, I definitely want to hear from you. And I really would love for you to get, um, encourage your family members to uh, reach out to me as well. You can reach me at newbay at prisons.org. Um, yeah, and just give me some feedback. Um, I love having this platform for you. I just want to give another shout out to KPOO. And I know it's a, you know, a little time past the fun drive, but I want to say thank you to everyone who participated, um, to, uh, give some funds to this radio station. It is so important. I feel so grateful to have this platform. And so I, again, just a big thanks and gratitude for all those that, um, dug deep, um, or just gave whatever they could to make sure that this station remained on the air. So, yeah, much gratitude for that. Um, again, I want to say very clearly, please reach out to me um, and let me know what you think about uh, this, this hour that we spend together from 11 to noon every Thursday. And if you do love it, please shout it out, too. Let people know. Um, come in and listen. We've got uh, fantastic guests. Um, we talk about all things prison and pr prison related. So um, there aren't very many platforms for that. So again, much gratitude for being able to hold down this space. Um, so this morning we are going to... Um, Oh wait, sorry. One more thing. Sorry, a couple more things I want to I want to say. Um, last week we had um, Kellyanne Savage from California Coalition for Women Prisoners on, and she was talking about um, life without parole. Um, this this civil death sentence that is um, given to far to, given to anyone really this is um, they have a campaign for drop LWAP and she spoke of an action that will be taking place a rally that is taking place March 9th that's Monday March 9th in Sacramento from 9 to 3 if you want to have more information on that just go to their Facebook page you can type in drop LWAP and everything will come up there um, but please, um, if any of you can, get to that rally on Monday, March 9th in Sacramento from 9 to 3. Um, be greatly appreciated. This is an extremely important issue. Um, giving people life uh, sentences um, is, um, is heartbreaking at best. Um, 
Okay, so we, um, I want to say one other thing also, please continue to write um, family members, uh, folks that are inside, please write to us at California Prison Focus, 4408 Market Street, Suite A, Oakland, California, 94608. We want to hear from you always. Your issues matter. That makes up the Prison Focus newspaper. Um, this is how we get your voices out and this is how we begin to and continue to educate the public about what's really happening inside, uh, not only what's happening inside of our prisons, but how it affects the um, the family and community um, as well. Um, the incarceration of so many people being caged um, and and hurt and harmed and really not helped. I am an abolitionist. I do. Uh, I'm seeking a world without prisons. Uh, where we are focusing on the potential of people and looking for second chances and restorative and transformative justice. All right, so we're going to get started. Um, again, thank you for being here. We're going to listen to. A f we're going to hear from a few voices. Um, I am going to be reading a couple of letters. I'm going to be reading one letter. I will be reading a an article. And then um, we are going to hear an update from uh, one of our guests that we had last week. So I am going to start with a piece that was written by Imulimo. He is someone that I uh, correspond with. He is um, he is a freedom fighter. He is a revolutionary. Um, he is a new African man. Um, he is part of the uh, group of men that were um, tortured in solitary confinement. He has spent far too many years in solitary confinement and in prison as well. Um, he is a, a brilliant, intelligent, kind man. And he uh, will often uh, write things so um, for me to share with all of you and to share at our Liberate the Caged Voices um, events. So he gave me a piece called Black Women in the Struggle, and I'm going to read that to you now. Black Women in the Struggle. Throughout our history of struggle for freedom and empowerment in the United States, you can find black women at the center of those struggles. But unfortunately, they have never received the sort of credit that they naturally deserve for their sacrifices and services. We can travel as far back in history as the time of the Underground Railroad and to the Maroon Societies and find the presence of black women in those movements for abolition of the enslavement of African people. Black women have always made tremendous sacrifices towards the freedom of our people, and they have done so without seeking self-aggrandizement. When we think about the sort of abuse that black women had to endure to survive our enslavement, it is phenomenal that they were able to accomplish so much with the huge burden of being mothers, wives, sisters, and freedom fighters, while simultaneously being raped and traumatized on a level unheard of in the history of humanity. Let us try to imagine the horror of having to engage in brutalizing work all day, and then at night you have to live the horrifying trauma of never knowing when an enslaving rapist was going to come and pull you away from your family to be traumatized in the most inhumane fashion. Black women endured all the various degrees of trauma associated with enslavement and still found the time and compassion to be loving mothers to African children, sisters to each other, and lovers to African men. Throughout our history, you will find black women doing whatever was necessary to work towards our freedom. During the time of the Garvey movement, black women were right there with black men working to build the largest movement for black empowerment that we ever witnessed as African people living in the modern era, but rarely do we hear about all their efforts to build and sustain that enlightening movement. If we once again look back at our history and see what took place with the Wall Street, with Black Wall Street and other historical attempts of black people to build economically and politically sound institutions in our communities throughout the country, we see black women were in critical leadership positions but unfortunately, it will be a rare occasion to read about their invaluable contributions in those historical struggles for liberations, for liberation, excuse me. Organizations like NAACP, 
the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Council, RAM, Revolutionary Action Movement, and others would not have been able to build themselves without the work that black women have done to steer us in the right direction with their leadership and wisdom. We should not forget about the womanist movement, which consisted of the struggle of black women to claim their just due in the fight for gender equity, because the feminist movement has never been fair to black women. Unfortunately, black women have often had to struggle just as hard to be recognized by black men. During the era of the civil rights and black power movement, you will find the critical leadership of black women on display at every possible level. But again, they were rarely given the credit that they deserved in reference to how black women have been depicted in historical writings about the struggle for justice and liberation. Just think what the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense would have been like without the presence of black women or the civil rights and black power movements in general. Take black women out of those political equations and they fall directly on their faces. Far too many black people do not seem to understand this critical fact. Often, I find myself in conversations with black men who think that black women are supposed to play a subservient role in our struggle for freedom and in everyday life. The sharing of power and resources is vital if we truly wish to change our plight in this country. Black men cannot abuse and traumatize black women and think that there are not going to be any substantial consequences as a result of such destructive actions. We cannot intelligently destroy our other half and then turn around and expect to liberate ourselves from oppressive forces operating in American society. One love, one struggle, and Mulimu S. Shakur, a servant of the people. Thank you so much, Mulimo, for sharing with that with us. And I think we are going to now take um, a quick music break with Stevie Wonder, Happier Than the Morning Sun. So you can sit with that for a minute. If I should ever bring you inside my life I'm happier than the morning sun And that's the way you say that it would be If I should ever bring you inside my life All my life I was alone didn't think I'd find my part Now I see there's joy inside your heart Every day I search for the star that never was in the sky Now I see this star is on In the morning sun, and that's what you said that would do. If I gave you a chance to come inside my life, I am happier in the morning sun, and that's the way it always will be. Ever since the day you Side my life. I love you. 
just quickly make an apology. I do not have Mulimo's address with me, and so I wanted to give you the opportunity to write him. Um, so again, um, if you want to, please reach me at nubeatprisons.org if you're interested in writing to Mulimo, whose letter I just read. Okay, now I am going to read a piece by Comrade Malik by Comrade Malik, and you will be able to hear more about Comrade Malik over these uh, weeks uh, here on the radio station because he is currently incarcerated, caged um, at USP Pollock in Louisiana, and he is working on being the assistant editor of the SF Bayview, and he's going to be returning to us either late this year or early next year. So you will definitely be hearing more about him, about Comrade Malik, and I want to read a piece to you uh, today called Why I Fight So Hard for Our People. It was originally posted as Why Am I Not Surprised? Revolutionary greetings, comrades. The hypocrisy of American fascism forces it to conceal its attack on political offenders by the legal fiction of conspiracy laws and highly sophisticated frame-ups. The masses must be taught to understand the true function of prisons. Why do they exist in such numbers? What is the real underlying economic motive of crime and the official definition of types of offenders or victims? The people must learn that when one, quote, offends, the totalitarian state is patently not an offense against the people of that state, but an assault upon the privilege of the privileged few. That is George L. Jackson from Blood in My Eye, page 107. As I stare out of my window here at the United States Penitentiary of Pollock, Louisiana, I find myself in a pensive and reflective mood. I see razor wire as well as concertina fencing immediately outside my window. I see the prison yard, the grass, the gun tower, and far off in the distance I see trees. I see a flag on a pole. It is the stars and stripes. This flag does not represent freedom to me. It represents oppression, abuse, social control, and it represents the hateful legacy of slavery. I woke up here in Pollock, Louisiana, thinking of Angola Three member Herman Wallace. I remember the day he died. I was listening to Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, and she played a recording of Comrade Herman describing the garden that he and his comrades were preparing behind the house he was planning to move into. 
Once the state of Louisiana finally granted Comrade Herman release, he was on his last leg. The cancer had literally eaten him alive. When I heard the voice of Herman Wallace, with the anticipation of freedom and the hope of seeing a brighter day, I cried. I cried because I was angry, sad, and frustrated. Louisiana had absolutely no love, compassion, or care for the Angola Three. What they had for them was racial hatred and decades of abuse. Comrade Robert King and Comrade Albert Woodfox made it out alive. Herman wasn't so lucky. So you should know that I fight for the Herman Wallaces of this world, the political prisoners here in America. I fight for them. I fight for my new African brothers. We are being told that we will be on lockdown for months after this most recent incident here at USP Pollock. Lockdown means my cellmate and I will be trapped in our cell 24/7. Every th three days, we are afforded an opportunity to shower. Our meals are all cold and consist of powdered milk, a piece of fruit, bologna, bread, cheese, or peanut butter and jelly. The nutritional value is extremely poor. I have survived. I have survived years on this paltry diet. There is no programming on lockdown. So all that talk you have heard about the First Step Act is just that talk. My cellmate and I. Are both short timers. He has about 14 months left, and I have about 15. He is 33 years old, and I am 51. Two black men. Both of us want to prepare for a successful transition back into society, but how can we? The Federal Bureau of Prisons is sending us back to our families and to our communities, traumatized and scarred emotionally as well as physically. What rehabilitation is to be had when you are forced to live in a concrete cell for months at a time? Our situation here is not unique. This is the reality for literally thousands of men who have found themselves inside a federal U.S. penitentiary, and women, I might add. U.S. Beaumont, U.S. Coleman, U.S.P. Victorville, U.S.P. McCreary, Big Sandy, Lee County—all of them in a continual state of lockdown. This is why I fight. The psychosocial quote. This is a quote. The psychosocial dimensions of fascism become quite complex, but they can be simplified by thinking of them as part of a collective bargaining process carried on between all of the elites of the particular state, with the regime with the regime acting as arbitrator. The regime's interests are subject to those of the ruling class. Labor is a partner in this relationship. Sorry, labor is a partner in this arrangement. At the head of any labor organization in the fascist state, there is an elite which is tied to the interests of the regime. And consequently tied also to the economic status quo. Unquote. George L. Jackson, excerpt for Blood in My Eye, page 157. In this environment, and I am talking about high security prisons in America, the prison warden is the elite who represents the interests of the regime. Let me be clear: here at USP Pollock, the complex warden is named Mr. McConnell. Mr. McConnell is an extension of the Trump administration. Now I want to break down exactly what justice looks like here in USP Pollock. Recently, there have been U.S. Supreme Court cases such as U.S. versus Johnson, U.S. versus Davis, and others, which have been, which have the potential of granting relief to thousands of federal prisoners. That means that many prisoners who were charged with gun charges under 924C, 922G, and those with Hobbs Act robberies may receive reductions in their sentence or possibly even go home if they qualify and file the proper legal motions and writs of habeas corpus. The ongoing lockdowns at USP Pollock, as well as USPs across the United Snakes of America, kaka, have resulted in a mass denial of our access to the courts. USP Pollock is an egregious violator of our access to courts. Allow me to explain. At USP Pollock, we see a special problem. On most USP units, you have access to a computer terminal, which is exclusively set up for the law library. That means we could access legal cases, which could aid in our freedom. Because of the numerous lockdowns, we cannot make copies of this case law. It would help us immensely if we had a printer on our housing units, since the prison administration here has fallen in love with the reactionary practice of the lockdown strategy. While en route to USP Pollock, I was in Federal Transition Center. Sorry, I was in the Federal Transition Center, which is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. There, on the housing unit, was a computer terminal strictly for law library use, and another terminal which was used to print documents, both legal documents and emails, from our Corlings email accounts. From my stance as a freedom fighter and jailhouse lawyer, I state for the record that prisoners held at USP Pollock are similarly situated as prisoners who are housed at the Federal Transition Center in Oklahoma and should be afforded the same access to the courts as prisoners there. What is happening at USP Pollock is a blatant violation of the Equal Protection Clause, as well as our constitutional right to have access to the courts. 
There are men here who have excellent arguments, which could be freed, which could be free. Sorry. There are men here who have excellent arguments, which could free them from federal custody. But the BOP has created a culture of incarceration, which traps mostly black, brown, and poor whites inside these slave camps and gulags. I mentioned earlier in this essay article that we were on lockdown here at USP Pollock. What I did not mention is that some prisoners here on A unit, on unit A3, did resist being forced back into their cells. They had good reason to resist. And after another quote from Comrade George Jackson, I will explain. Quote, as victims of one of the history's most brutal contradictions, as the poorest of the poor, as blacks, it is quite justifiable and completely possible for us to destroy this country as a modern nation state, to attack it with a totally destructive countersweep of frustrated retaliatory rage. That is not our purpose. As revolutionaries, it is our objective to move ourselves and the people into actions that will culminate in the seizure of state power. Our real purpose is to redeem not merely ourselves, but the whole nation and the whole community of nations from colonial community economic repression. George L. Jackson, excerpt from Blood in My Eye, pages 133 through 134. On December 31, 2019, there was an incident here at USP Pollock which resulted in the warden calling for an institutional lockdown. On Unit A3, you have a group of prisoners who have jobs, are involved in rehabilitative programs, etc., a unit is considered the good side of the penitentiary, the side where the peaceful and allegedly well-adjusted prisoners are all housed. However, the prisoners on A unit, on A3 unit were not afforded the opportunity to go to the commissary. Their lockers were empty. Some of these men have active and pending litigation. There has been a palpable frustrated retaliatory rage building. It took rubber bullets, shock grenades, batons, and chemical agents to force the good guys into their cells on unit A3 here at USP Pollock. You see, comrades, something is very wrong here at USP Pollock and many other federal pens across the U.S. Deceptions and lies are being told about the so-called rehabilitation and re-entry programming made available to American prisoners. Question. If you make your living incarcerating poor, black, Latinx, and white human beings, why in the world would you be interested in turning out whole human beings from these slave camps? It is not in their interest to help us. We are being sent back in worse shape than we came in, and then when we fail, the oppressor profiles us on Good Morning America and highlights the worst of us while ignoring the best of us. Do you think I will be invited to be interviewed on Good Morning America once I successfully assume my position as assistant editor of the San Francisco Bayview, the national black newspaper? Probably not. I vow to, I vow to fight for those I leave behind, but what about now? What shall we do to address the current conditions of our confinement? A violent and brutal response will not serve our interests. We must set in motion a thoughtful and well-put-together plan, which must be embraced by all federal prisoners in the USP. Violence only plays into the strategy the oppressors have has in store for us. I would suggest the agreement to end hostilities here. Remember, comrades, there will be no programming, no visits, no phone calls, and no business transactions while we are on these lockdowns. It's time for the shot callers of all street tribes and organizations to communicate with one another now. Exposing the conditions which exist is one part of the plan. As the weeks turn into months, I will be offering more ideas and suggestions that may improve our conditions. But I am only one man. I'll need some help and cooperation from the good men and women who are trapped inside these razor-wired plantations. This is just a glimpse. There will be, there will follow more. Will you be ready? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. All power to the people. Keith Malik Washington is an assistant editor of the Bayview, studying and preparing to serve as editor after his release in 2021. He is also co-founder and chief spokesperson for the End Prison Slavery in Texas movement, proud member of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and an activist in the Fight Toxic Prisons campaign. Visit his website at comrademalik.com. Send our brother some love and light. Keith Malik Washington, three four four eight one zero three seven, USP Pollock, PO Box two zero nine nine Pollock, Louisiana seven one four six seven. Okay, thank you, Comrade Malik. Again, he speaks very clearly again to the agreement to end hostilities, and if you go to um, prisons.org the California Prison Focus website, you can read that agreement online. Um, and if any of you are interested, please uh, contact Comrade Malik, uh, go to the SF Bayview uh, to hear and read not only some more of his works, but other works of freedom fighters on the inside as well. Okay, so 
in we have one last voice that I want you to hear. So last week we had uh, Diana Cruz, also known as D, who was on, uh, giving us a. Um, sorry. She was letting us know that there was an action that was going to be taking place um, by family members protesting the non-designated programming facilities and the, um, the created violence by CDCR that was being perpetrated upon their loved ones. And they were going to Sacramento to uh, talk to Ralph Diaz about that at their budget hearing meeting. So um, she agreed to give us an update, and you'll be hearing from her in a moment, and I want to introduce Diana Cruz, also known as Dee, is a um, family advocate with a loved one incarcerated at a correctional training facility in Soledad, California. She has been organizing protests across the state with other family members and organizations such as Silicon Valley Debug, Youth Justice Coalition, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and... Um, Prison Advocacy Network to bring about the awareness of the violence CDCR has been creating across the state. And so she is going to be giving us an update um, about that. And so without further ado, we have, um, oops, hold on, let's see if we can get this going here. All right, um, here we go. Thank good? you for joining us. All right, so, um, yeah, the let's let the listening audience know. Would you like to give us an update about how the action went in Sacramento last week? Yes, so in Sacramento on Monday, the 2nd of March, uh, the budget hearing, it was the first budget hearing for CDCR, and it mainly consisted of speaking about prison closure and staff complaints or misconduct. So they did talk about, you know, uh, wanting to close down a prison and all the prisons uh, out of state that have already been closed down and the next ones should be the private prison, uh, both private prisons in California, one of them which is California City. Um, they stated something about April, so next month, that they wanted to close it down, but we'll see about that. But in regards to staff complaints and staff uh, misconduct, they just, uh, there was a, a report done by, in, in Salina Valley State Prison, and they talked a little bit about that, and they talked about how they were going to fix the process, which actually doesn't make any sense because Secretary Ralph Diaz stated that they have, they came up with a solution, but now the warden of each prison is going to make the decision on whether to send the complaint or the misconduct to internal affairs, which doesn't make any sense because you're not, you don't know what warden is going to raise their hand and say, hey, this is going on in my prison. So the uh, PLO, Don Spector, he stated that there should be an outside entity to look at those misconducts and complaints so um, that's what basically happened at the end of the meeting at, of the hearing family members did step up and talk about uh, our loved ones and the violence that they are facing in the California State Prisons today with the non-designated programming facilities and incremental releases you know we talked a little bit about the violence that such programs are creating between to different classifications and or factions of individuals incarcerated and, you know, um, how violent they are. Um, we also talked about a couple family members stated. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, no, I just, um, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe the, um, the listening audience may not know what non-designated programming facilities are. So maybe, could, can we just step back just a little bit and maybe give us an idea of what that is? What yes, that so the non-designated non programming facilities began on a voluntary basis. They're basically the integration between the general population, individuals with the sensitive needs yard, 
previously known as protective custody individuals inside state prisons. So those individuals that at one point sought protection and needed to be separated for safety and security reasons, the state prison system has now decided, let's just put them all back together. Mind you, these two groups have been separated for over 20 years for safety concerns. So now CDCR wants to integrate them, which is obviously causing a lot of violence. You know, and incremental releases, they are the same thing. The two factions, two different factions of individuals in the Central Valley State Prison are being integrated and there's been major violence. We're calling both of these uh, gladiator fights. Family members are calling them gladiator fights because CDCR is knowingly and intentionally placing our loved ones in hostile environments knowing that the violence occurs when they get integrated. Hmm. And have, and, and the, the prisoners in the past have said that they don't want this as well, right? They Correct. Have both, both general population, GP individuals, and sensitive needs, DRS and Y individuals state they do not want this. Uh, you know, initially CDCR stated the integration, like I said, was voluntary and they did do a voluntary pilot program in R.J. Donovan State Prison in San Diego. Mind you, most of those individuals, well, all those individuals volunteered to be in there. But then CDCR decided to forcefully integrate them um, mid-year 2018, which has, like I said, caused major violence, riots, slashing, stabbings, hospitalizations, you know, and I'm not only talking about injuries from the other classification of individuals, I'm talking about injuries from officers' non-lethal weapons, which they're using as lethal weapons when they shoot our loved ones in the face with rubber bullets, which have caused major injuries. Wow, this must be so stressful for you as a family member knowing that your loved one is being subjected to this? Absolutely. You know, it, since the beginning, since I heard about this, it's taken a toll, you know, on my personal life. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, this fight has become my life. And mind you, I work, uh, nine to five job so I do that I come home and I work another full-time job you know with this fight with other family members with other organizations and we're constantly collaborating what do we do what can we do where can we do it you know just everything it's just collaborating and, and getting more contacts and I mean it's it, it is a lot of work it's taking a toll I mean I've had to, I've been so stressed out at, that it's physically made me sick. I mean, I've had to go to the hospital, you know, because the stress has gotten to me that bad, you know, and um, I've had to seek therapy because I, I don't understand. I mean, I cannot even fathom how CDCR thinks this is okay, you know, and they don't care about the violence and they state, you know, Secretary Ralph Diaz at the budget hearing on Monday, he said, we're not thinking about the inmates as numbers, we're thinking about them as people, but look at what they've been doing since 2018. They, they are seriously just housing our men. They don't care about rehabilitation, you know, and that's really, it's really stressful, you know, and then seeing all the pictures of all the injuries, hearing all the stories when people contact you, when they're in tears, you know, when they're saying, what can I do, what can I do, or when something happens and they are in distress because they call the prison and the prison 
they can't tell them anything because of safety and security. So, you know, we're, when something happens, especially, you know, when you have a loved one inside and you don't know if they're okay, it is, it is the most stressful feeling in the world. You don't know if your loved one's dead, alive, hurt, safe. You know, it's, it's, uh, unimaginable what we're going through and the kids the kids you know i don't i personally don't have kids but other families that have children they don't understand if we don't understand it the kids are so confused why can't i see daddy why you know like why can't he call me you know because these violent riots and everything that happens they lead to lockdown and right now correctional training facility continues to be on a modified program since, you know, August 2018, there's been minor breaks, but to this day, they're on modified program, which is limited to no programming for our men. And so, okay, so a couple of questions there, Dee, and I really appreciate you sharing this with our with our listening audience, and I hope that they're really understanding, you know, what this means, because you are a part of our community your loved one is a part of our community even though he's been in, or um and the many others that have been disappeared behind these walls and this affects our community as well and so it's um again i'm really grateful that you're sharing this but and i i want to step back a little bit and um when you were at the when you and the other family members were at the uh, it was a, a budget hearing in sacramento and you got to speak up about, um, did you get to speak up specifically about these, uh, about the uh, non-designated programming facilities um, and this basically setting up of violence? Um, and did, did, did you actually get some time to talk about that there? And, and what came of it? What Did you get any answers? Yes, so we did talk about it. I spoke about the incident on August 14, 2019, last year, and Secretary Diaz was right in front of me. I told him that Ralph Diaz was at the facility the day before the 200 inmate riot happened, and he knew about the violence the next day, and he refused to do anything about it. And 8-14 came along, August 14. There was a riot amongst 200 individuals, major injuries, hospitalizations. There were correctional officers in full riot gear before the riot happened. There were hospitals on standby, medical staff on standby, and the administrators were on the sidelines just watching. So I told Ralph Diaz at that, you know, with my comment, I stated that he knew about the violence. He knows about the violence. But, you know, it's just a public comment. They don't respond to you. They just hear you out. So he didn't respond to any of our comments. Um, you know, other people were talking about the budget, you know, and, and mm-hmm. to please, telling legislators, please really look at the budget and look at where they are spending their money and seeing that they're allocating it, you know, properly. Because from the meeting, Ralph Diaz did not have a plan at all. You know, a legislator, uh, Philip Ting, the budget committee, from the budget committee, he kept asking him, what's your plan? And Ralph Diaz did not have a plan. There was no plan for anything, even though he was asking for more money for the next fiscal year. Uh, why do you think that, why do you think the guards are doing this? Why do you think that they're setting, why did they make this decision? I mean, we could have our theories as to why, um, the guys are being set up like this. But why do you do you have an idea about why this is happening? I have an idea, and you know, when when was it? After the Ashker case, when our loved ones got sent out of the shoe, um, you know, um, back in 2015, basically the court said, okay, uh, incarcerated individuals can't be in indefinite shoe confinements 
So because that's what they were doing. Some individuals were in the shoe for 20, 30 years. It was unbelievable. Just solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, yes. Sorry yes. about that. Mm-hmm. So, that's right. you know, so CDCR was mandated by the court to basically send our loved ones in solitary confinement outside to the general population. So when these individuals went back into the general population, that's when CDCR created the non-designated programming facilities so they can create the violence and tell the public, oh, see everybody, we can't let these guys out of the shoe. They need to go back because they're causing all this violence. When in fact, the, the communities, the public does not know that CDCR is the one creating this violence. And it is because of them that the violence is, you know, increasing. You know, actually, after the the individuals from solitary confinement went into the general population, that the violence decreased in those yards. You know, but CDCR just failed to, you know, they didn't like that. So they wanted to create violence so that, you know, with this violence, People are losing their parole dates. People are getting additional charges to the district attorney for attempted murder. People are losing their good time. People are getting injured. People are getting sent to the hole. I mean, it is everything is just punishment for our guys when all they want to do is program and come home. And CDCR is just, they are not liking it. All these laws all these bills that are passing to bring our loved ones home, and CDCR is putting a roadblock on them and saying, nope, we want you in here because our men are are their job security, basically. Well, uh, you know, Dee, I have to hand it to you um, for for saying that because mm-hmm. um, I agree with you, and um, it's a hard pill to swallow um, to think that, um, our family, our friends are being uh, treated this way simply so that people could have a job. And especially you, here you are at a budget hearing and, you know, the, the state um, just wants more money for mm-hmm. um, in order to keep these prisons open, keep our loved ones inside, and continue to keep that narrative of see uh, how, how, how violent they are. And so that's why we're making we have to do this and treat them this way. I really exactly. appreciate you for saying that. It takes a lot of courage. And you also mentioned something um, that makes me want to mention the agreement to end hostilities because mm-hmm. you plainly said, um, and rightly so, that when um, your loved ones, these men were let out of solitary confinement after decades of being tortured in there mm-hmm. through solitary confinement, um, and during that time, and through the hunger strikes, they created the agreement to end hostilities. And so, yes, they were about peace. They they had created this document that that suppressed the violence. And yes. and so that is what you are referring to when you say when they came home, there was actually less violence because exactly. they had gotten all of these men to agree to settle their differences in uh, for a common cause of um, exactly. of their humanity and their and their human rights, um, and here we are. I'm, I'm just so sorry that this is that is happening. Of course, I know that it's happening, but um, I really am grateful to you for letting the, the listening audience know um, that this is happening, and and how it is not only affecting. Uh, horrifically, your loved one inside, but how this is affecting you as um, as a spouse, as a spouse, and um, in other cases, you know, mothers and the children. And um, so, you were able to state your case, or you were able to basically look Ralph Diaz in the eye and tell him you are accountable. And what are you going to do about it? But you were not necessarily able to get answers. But you are exposing this, right? And do you have do you have another 
um, um, is there another phase to this? I mean, is there, you know, other steps? What, what, is, what is your loved one doing inside? What are, are they able to lodge their complaints? Um, and what is, what does that look like? What, what do you feel like are the next, next steps? So my loved one on the inside, he's actually uh, filed um, it, there, filed a, a lawsuit basically against the state. So we're trying to stop non-designated programming facilities um, through through the courts. I mean, CDCR. We we as family members have met with Ralph Diaz on two separate occasions in his CDCR headquarters in Sacramento, and he refused to stop the violence. We have met with legislators in Sacramento. We have gone to budget hearings. We're going to continue to go to budget hearings from CDCR. You know, we're going to continue to everywhere they go. We're going to follow them to expose them, like you said, you know, and um, just let them know that we as family members, we're not going nowhere until they do what is right. And, you know, we would not be here if they were just doing what is right. I would not be bugging them, be, be looking at them in the eye, you know, if they were just doing the right thing, you know. But we're definitely we're going to continue to go to Sacramento. There's a few other CDCR budget hearings. I don't know exactly when they are, but um, I do want to be present in all of them because everyone, every budget hearing has a different topic so I do want to be a part of that as well as other family members and you know it's just hopefully we stop the program you know uh, with with court cases if nobody else is listening to us you know we're requesting a public safety hearing from legislators we've been requesting it since the very beginning so we're going to continue to push it and the public safety hearing basically uh, the legislators get together, CDCR administration is there, and family members are there, and we voice our concerns. We show them the pictures. We have pictures. We have write-ups, you know, that our loved ones have received, and CDCR has taken off their, uh, their computer base or their files because they don't want to expose it. So there's a lot of misconduct in regards to administration as well with this that people don't really see because they've deleted it, you know. Wow. And, and right now, one individual uh, with the NDPS integration, he's already already a paraplegic. He got injured that bad, then now he is a paraplegic. So, you know, <sighs> this integration, we... We just want CDCR to do what is right. You know, this is human lives. With, I mean, with dog fights, people just make a, you know, like they protest for dog fights. But these are humans that CDCR is literally putting together as gladiator fights. You know, their lives are in danger. They're on survival mode. That's what they're facing right now. I am so sorry. Yeah, I, it's, um, it's heartbreaking to hear this and to think that, you know, here you are, you're, you're just trying to live your life and you have to take time out, um, to do this. Like you said, you know, you're, you're exhausted, um, you know, losing sleep. Children are, are confused. Um, and yeah, and really just what you're asking for is what's supposed to happen. I mean, these are these are people under under CDC small R's care. They're supposed to be making sure that they are creating an environment uh, um, so that um, your people can get their programming, um, do what it is that they need to do, like you said, to come home. And they, and instead, CDCR is undermining the agreement to end hostilities. They they really can't stand that. Um, the narrative that they're trying to put out about how violent you are is actually false in so many cases that in fact given the things that they need uh, the, the the educational opportunities the work opportunities um, the um, the safe space in order for them to do what they need to do most of them would be doing that right given that given uh, given that and um, CDCR is, is undermining that, and it's uh, it's it's it is heartbreaking.
call is now being recorded. Okay, we just had a little glitch there, but we are back. Dee, are you back with me? Yes, I am. All right, fantastic. So, um, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listening audience? And um, anything, yes, and just any last words, anything that um, you would like to ask of us that we can do? Yes, actually, you know, a lot of a lot of individuals are not getting involved with the fight because their loved ones are in level three or level four facilities and they don't think it's going to affect them when in reality it is going to affect them. You know, in level three, Solano, I believe, is creating a, a I forgot the name of it, but it's the same thing, programming facility. And in level four, Calipatria, it's the alternatives to violence. Same program, just different name. It's the integration of general population and protective custody or SNY individuals. Same integration and it's going to cause the same violence. And they're both beginning as a voluntary basis, which is exactly how NDPF began. So, you know, individuals, they need to understand, they need to join the fight. You know, the more numbers we have, the better, and so that legislators can hear us, they can understand the violence. You know, individuals um, that are fighting to end life without parole, you know, they're a huge, huge group. They should get involved because, you know what, like at the end of the day, if they get a parole date, but they get sent to one of these NDPF yards, there goes their parole time, you know, and there goes their chance to come home. So, I mean, every individual, if, if it's not affecting you right now, you know, please try to come with us and fight with us, you know. Um, if Okay, folks, I am going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. But please go to the website, prisons.org, and I will get that, informa that um, information to reach D and get more involved. We'll be up there on um, our blog page there at prisons.org. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and I will see you next week. Um, just take care, please, and treat each other like the beautiful humans that you are. Bye-bye.